Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 59 of Boston's Best. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Chris Tkach. Chris is the owner and founder of Idle Hands Craft Ales in Malden. Malden is the second location for Idle Hands. They were initially in Everett for some time before finding a 4,800 square foot space in Malden with a 1,200 square foot tap room plus the patio. Idle Hands is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this September 11th for their Oktoberfest, so be sure to stop by. Chris shares with us that he grew up in New Hampshire and got a home brewing kit from his uncle for his 21st birthday. Chris went to school for engineering and did that for a bit after college, but the passion project of home brewing turned into a business when Chris decided to make that jump and start Idle Hands. Idle Hands makes Belgian-inspired beers and will typically have about 12 on tap, and everything else that they make is available in cans. Seam, their New England IPA, is their flagship. In this episode, we talk in-depth about the early challenges and successes that come with starting your own brewery. Chris is the left-brained analytical owner, and his wife, Grace, balances that out with her right-brained side of the business, handling all things marketing. Chris shares with us how amazed he was at the support they received last year from their loyal customers throughout COVID. And be sure to listen to the end, as Chris shares what advice he'd give to anyone looking to start their own business, what he would tell his 18-year-old self, and how he defines success in any given year. And so, with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week, we have Chris Tkach. Chris is the owner of Idle Hands Craft Ales. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing this morning? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on Boston's Best. I'm excited to have, have you on here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm looking forward to, uh, to spreading the good word of Idle Hands. So, <laughs> for the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I love talking. I just love talking craft beers and the brewery industry. It's exploded over the last Call it a decade or so, and I've even got my wife in my wife into craft beers, which is nice. Uh, that whole industry, so it's always nice to have her join me when we check out different breweries. So yeah, there's um there's definitely a lot that's exploded. It's the exact right exact right word, and you know, yeah. we're we're coming up on our ten year anniversary right now, and wow. um I used to pride myself in knowing what every single brewery was in Massachusetts, and now there's just so many <laughs> now that I, I can't keep track of them. There's like new ones that pop up all the time. And I'm like, I never even heard of them before. Yeah. Yeah. They're everywhere now. It's crazy. So before we get into Idle Hands itself, give us a little background on you. Are you are you from Mass? Are you a native? You know, you an import? I grew <laughs> I guess so. I, I grew up in New Hampshire and I uh, went to University of New Hampshire for undergrad, uh, kicked around the seacoast after graduating for a few years and then eventually moved down to the Boston area to go back to school to get my, uh, my MBA uh, at Babson. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of just really never left, you know, so I've been down uh, in the Boston area since 03, roughly. Okay, nice. Uh, so how did you did you go right into the beer industry, you know, after the MBA? Or was there a transition period? No, I mean, my, uh, my background is in engineering. So I graduated okay. with a degree in civil engineering. Um, and then, you know, after spending 
12 or so months uh, in that business um, after graduation, I, I realized that that's not what I wanted to do with the rest of my rest of my life. And a lot of that had to do with just kind of not wanting to put in the time um, to get to your, you know, your professional engineer's license where you can actually really do interesting things, hopefully. And so I fell back on some computer skills um, that I had gained while I was in college, you know, doing co-op work and, you know, got into the computer industry and just started uh, developing software and got into IT consulting. Um, and then my last job before leaving that industry was VP of engineering of a small software company. So I, I kind of bounce around a little bit with different industries and stuff like that. But the one thing that has followed me through has been beer and brewing. So my uncle got me into brewing, you know, back uh, prior to actually when I was 21. Um, okay. you know, he'd been brewing for a few years and I always thought it was kind of an interesting hobby. And so I followed him through it, you know, brewed a few beers at his his place, kind of really fell in love with the science of it and kind of the artistry and science, you know, yeah. duality of the whole process. You know, he got me a kit for Christmas one year um, and I was still living at UNH with a bunch of other college friends and in a big farmhouse off campus. And yeah, yeah I just brewed beer and they drank all my mistakes and I kind of <laughs> slowly got better. And, you know, you know, I continued to do that all through my professional career. And at that point, I'm just like, all right, it's, it's time to, you know, do something that's gonna make you a little bit more happier in life, you know? Yeah. And so I followed that passion. I, you know, flushed my lucrative IT career down the toilet and decided to <laughs> um, become a poor brewer. And here we are, you know, 10 years later. That's awesome. You, you must've been the cool kid on the block, you know, college kids, you brew the beers, college kids will drink, anything you know so i mean it must have been lining up to try the different kind of beers you'd make yeah and it's not like you know we had our, our large raging parties with my homebrew that was, <laughs> was kind of there like you know like i said i had i think eight other college i had eight, you know eight other friends i was living in the house with so it wasn't yeah um, i didn't have any problem finding you know a place to you know give my mistakes to and, right. and stuff like that so yeah did uh any of those first brews do they make it to idle hands is the one that that stuck not at the beginning no yeah. um you know when we opened idle hands we looked at the market at the time and kind of married that with the passions of the type of beers i wanted to produce at the time and yeah we went 100 uh, percent in towards like the belgian kind of process okay. or belgian type of beers that we wanted to produce and yeah. i wasn't really making those beers back in 1990 whatever 1993 i do you did you have a specific moment do you remember that moment where you said i'm gonna start my own brewery like well you know i guess well, how did, i mean how did it come to fruition anybody who gets into deeply into home brewing it's always like that fantasy you know yeah. it's like oh wouldn't it be cool to own you know a brewery <laughs> with a bunch of my buddies and all we do is sit around and make beer and drink yeah, beer right? <laughs> and stuff like that you know it's, it's yeah. a fantasy but i i got to the point you know, where I wasn't very satisfied in my IT career and what I was doing anymore. And, uh, you know, my wife was kind of like, you know, you got to do something that's going to make you a little more happier. You're always yeah. coming home. You're always grumpy. You're always, yeah. you know, moping around the house and stuff like <laughs> that. And, you know, I didn't really quite know what that was. I started kind of learning a little bit about the nano breweries that had been popping up around the country yeah. and kind of exploring that to kind of see what that was all about um, and whether that was a viable way forward uh, in terms of starting a brewery. And, you know, after a lot of that research and talking to some of those um, those owners, I realized that, yeah, you can you can certainly start a brewery at that level and, you know, be a little bit profitable you have to work your your butt yeah. off to do yeah. it but it's it's definitely a viable way of getting into the industry you know because prior to that you talk to you know any of the 
the old school owners of breweries are like, yeah, you can't, you don't even bother unless you're going to start at a, you know, a 10, 15 barrel type of system. And, yeah. you know, that equipment's expensive. So I didn't, didn't want to quite go that route. Particularly, I didn't, wasn't also sure if there'd be a market for my beer. So there's always that question. Yeah. So started at a much smaller level, less beer to sell, less capital expenses involved. Yeah. So it kind of made sense. And the aha moment was really coming home from skiing up at Sugarloaf one uh, one weekend, and we stopped at Main Beer in Portland when their original location, and they were still producing, you know, at the nano level. And oddly enough, I think it was Dan Cleveland that was, you know, answered the door. We knocked on the door, and he was there, which <laughs> I guess never really happens. Um, and he was incredibly open with, you know, their operations. And oh, I spent nice. a good forty five minutes just talking to him, picking his brain, and. That was kind of, I think, the aha moment. You know, I came yeah. away from that and like, wow, this is something that's possible. You know, here, here is a, you know, a prime example of somebody who's doing it. You know, yeah. he said it, it was profitable, and so I went home from that vacation and just started working on the business plan. Oh, that's awesome, man! That's really cool. So, how'd you end up uh, at your current location? Do you live there? Or is it just uh, what was available? In so, the- we've this is our second location now. So, we originally started in Everett. Oh, okay. Um, in a very dilapidated warehouse that literally looked like it came from the the set of a Saw movie. <laughs> Did you not? Anybody who'd ever been to that original location will, will verify <laughs> how crappy that place was, how scary it was. But we got forced out of that location back in about 2015 timeframe um, with Everett Casino coming in. And so oh, we've okay. got a lot of that space. Found a new home in Malden. And so yep. we've been there, you know, we've been operational here since 2016. That period was definitely a, a bumpy road for sure. I think if I hadn't been as established as I was at that time, I probably would have just hung it up. It's a, it was pretty daunting to yeah. one, move your brewery, find a new location, figure out how to finance, you know, the build out and all the capital yeah. uh, expenses and stuff like that. And and get back up and operational. Um, there was a period of about I don't know, close to a year where we weren't even brewing in our own facility. And, oh, no uh, we, were, we were brewing at night shift. Okay. For that period of time, and I, you know, I knew those guys because they literally moved in six months after I did to that same crappy warehouse location, <laughs> and we shared a wall. So yeah. we had this kind of little brewer's alley thing going on. Yeah. And uh, we became friends through that whole scenario, and they saw what I was going through, and you know, offered a, a way out, so to speak. Wow, that was nice of them. Um, so I, I don't think I've asked this. How did you come up with the name Idle Hands? Is there a meaning behind it? Idle Hands is the devil's playthings, right? Everybody's heard of that, sales, that saying. And so that's kind of where it comes from. There's a story behind how we got there. You know, with it being, you know, when we were, when I always say we, it's my wife and I, Grace. When we were trying to conceive of the brewery and what we wanted to call it and what it wanted to be represented we want we knew one thing we didn't want to have a geographically tied we didn't want it to be like everett brewing company or boston right. brewing company or massachusetts or any of those things it just to me that just didn't yeah uh, didn't really speak you no, know, that makes we sense. To do. Um, we wanted something a little more conceptual in nature and, and so we were watching basketball diaries one night and you know there's a line in there that leonardo says that you know the idle hands of the devil's playthings um and grace and yeah. i just looked at each other i'm like that's like perfect that's awesome because it, it kind of has grown out of where the brewery started with kind of my own idle hands or my idle mind, you know, trying yeah. to get something done that I wanted to to do in my spare time. So, nice. OK, well. yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Starting your own business isn't easy, right? I guess. What are some of the early challenges that you faced? You know, you mentioned the, uh, the, the first location. What are some of the early challenges you faced? And then 
so many. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave so it to very, just a the couple. The very first challenge that we chased uh, yeah. or really faced, other than kind of finding the space, first of all, but um, we were originally denied our license. Oh, no Massachusetts ABCC because we weren't a farm brewery. We had no place to actually grow anything. Uh-oh. And if you, you look back about 10 years ago, and actually it, it was, oh, my Facebook um, feed, I posted uh, a couple of days ago, hey, it was 10 years ago that your license was denied kind of type of thing. No kidding. So, yeah, it's kind of pretty fresh in my mind again, all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, they had made a decision that anybody who held a farm brewer license was going to need to produce or grow 50% of their ingredients. Now, every brewery in Massachusetts at the time held a farm brewery license, including Sam Adams, including Harpoon. Okay. You name it. So it was, it was this decision, you know, affected obviously more than my little tiny nano operation. And thankfully, um, cooler heads prevailed through a lot of lobbying, you know, with the Mass- Massachusetts Brewers Guild and conversations that happened with the, yeah. the Department of Treasury or the uh, state uh, treasurer's office and stuff like that. And the ABC finally reversed that decision. So we, oh. we ultimately were able to get our license. But wow. that was long? kind of our first big road, road, you know, roadblock. Yeah. How long was that whole process before they finally gave you the license? Uh, two months, three months. That's a long like time. That. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, from the time I got denied to the time they finally gave me my license. Yeah, yeah. it was a couple of months, but it had been building up to that point where yeah. we had submitted our application and didn't hear it back and didn't hear it back and didn't hear it back and then finally got denied. So, yeah, yeah Damn. it took us a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that, that's a difficult start. Well, so what, what was one of the like early successes you had where you knew that you had a viable business going forward and that this is something you could do, you know, for the rest of your life if you wanted to? You know, I wouldn't say that at the very beginning that we were all that successful. You know, again, we had a lot of things that were going against us, particularly the location, you know, yeah. very, very hard to find. If you did show up at the building, you were very skeptical. There was actually a brewery inside. <laughs> so, you know, we had to we had to do a lot of, you know, uh, word of mouth kind of marketing and stuff like that to kind of get people to actually walk in the door. Yeah. And on top of that, we were brewing beers that were a little bit more esoteric that people weren't kind of quite used to. Okay. So I would say after we got past our initial nano brewery level, where you know we got past that one and a half barrel system, and we actually had a five barrel system and bigger tanks, and we were able to start producing beers that were a little bit more accessible yeah. um, to people, then we started really getting some success behind it. it. You know, and that was probably about the 2013, 2014 timeframe. Okay. So, okay. you know, we toiled for a good couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, part of that was also that I was doing it at part time. Right. So I was still working my IT job, coming home at night, going to the brewery, spending all my weekends at the brewery, brewing, working at you know, the tasting room, the stuff like that. So yeah, those are long days. One, it was there were long days, long weeks. Yeah. You know, but at the time, you know, it, it felt like that's what needed to be done, you know. Yeah. And we couldn't we couldn't survive by hiring somebody to really, you know, handle some of those other operations. Just the money wasn't there. Okay. So we were very frugal at the very beginning. And I think part of that, you know, is lends ourselves to to some success, you know, that yeah. we've had is that we were able to kind of survive that initial period. I mean, the landscape has changed a lot since then. You know, back then you you couldn't have a tap room. Oh, um, right, right. That that didn't exist. So people could come in and get samples and tastings, but the whole idea is that you were then selling them a growler or a bottle or something right. like that to know. And that's where you were making your money. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I forgot tap rooms weren't allowed yeah. uh, until yeah. So what year was that? Like 14, 15? 
I would say that that got changed maybe 2013. 2013. Yeah. But at that time, you know, we 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 weren't able to to really uh, take advantage of it because our space had already been built out with the idea of a, a tasting room, right. which is the size of a postage stamp. You know, it was right. like literally, I don't know, if it was 10 by 10, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, and so there was no room to really put a table there and for people to sit down and then drink yeah, you know, a beer. And, and at the same time, I was like, I don't really want people to have this experience yeah. in our brewery because it was such a depressing place. <laughs> shithole excuse my language yeah, all good um the bathrooms were oh my god the bathrooms are just terrible um, <laughs> so you know it's like but night shift you know they made a go of it they had a, a raging tap room you know and it was crazy to see the amount of people that they were bringing in and i'm like i, I wish i could figure out how to do this but i can't yeah you know yeah. i don't have the space yeah, no, that's fair. So how do you, so you moved to Malden. What size, what size space is the Malden location now? So our building is about 4,800 square feet. And then we have some offices that are above it, which, you know, is outside of that square footage. But uh, our tap room is, you know, 1,250 square feet. And then we have a nice patio outside too. Awesome. So we definitely have room. Um, we're not the biggest tap room around by any means. Yeah. That's Both still a good size look- though. Yeah. I mean, it's decent yeah. size. You know, we can fit you know, 80, 90 people in here. Yeah. That's, that's um, solid. Inside. And then you have the outside too. So, you know, we yeah. have a capacity of 150 or so, which is fine. You know, yeah. you know um, we can make it any big, any bigger without sacrificing a lot of production space, which I knew we were going to need. Yeah. 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 That's fair. How have you gone about marketing? Uh, is this mainly been through, you know, social media channels? That's obviously exploded the last, you know, decade or so. Yeah. Well. I mean, that's, uh, we spent all our time on social media. We've yeah. done some traditional advertising and we haven't really found it to be worthwhile. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the type of um, customers that are, we're trying to reach, they're all on social media all the time. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, and it's the easiest way to kind of get to them. And also it's the most inexpensive way. Absolutely. Like anytime, anytime we go out, um, like my wife and I were recently at the Lost Shoe Brew and Roasting Company in Marlboro. Uh, she's, she's pregnant, so she's not drinking beer. Uh, so she went there and like a decaf coffee. So we popped by there and, um, you know, when you go to just breweries now, people want to take pictures of the different beers that they get, they get the flights. Like, it's just kind of like, I guess for lack of better words, like a cool thing to post. Like people enjoy going to breweries now. It's a cool thing. So like just people posting for you too, and sharing your beers and tagging you guys in it is just like, that's the cheapest form of marketing you could possibly ask for. Yeah. I mean, word of mouth, social media marketing. Is, oh, yeah. you know, that's right you have somebody else that's already said hey I, i've been here i like this beer you know your friend yeah. their friends are more likely to then you know go there so. yeah 100 what how many how many beers do you typically have on tap on any given day and like how many you know others do you have in cans that are available yeah so we have 12 tap lines at, at the tap room they are generally filled although coming out of covid things are still a little bit you know we're not back up to our full kind of product i wouldn't say not up to our full production but back up to our, our normal lineup yeah yeah kind of word. that's fair um, so there's still a couple you know empty handles that are out there you know and then we can just about everything that we brew now and so you can if you don't find it you know if you find it on draft here and you like it you generally you can take it home in a can awesome awesome what's your what's your flagship uh i would say uh four seam yeah. It's our New England IPA. It's the beer that we're probably best known for. Yeah. Um, it's the one that we produce the most of. It's the one that keeps the lights on at the brewery. Yeah. So it's definitely <laughs> yeah. our flagship. Yeah, there's always there's always one that keeps the lights on at breweries. Do you have one? Do you have a favorite yourself? I tend to drink 
pretty much all of our loggers. So I, guess, yeah. I, I am not a self-professed hop head. I have a tendency to drink beers that, uh, to me, taste more like, you know, traditional beer instead of fruit and, yep. and other flavors. Okay. So we came out with a new uh, German pills called Gretel at the tail end of last year, and we've made it a full-time beer this year. Nice. And I love that beer. It's crisp. It's clean. It's 4.6%, so it's not high Light. in alcohol. Yeah. I mean, I could drink that beer all day long. That's awesome. So let's get into let's get into COVID a little bit. We don't have to spend too much time on it because... I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of talking about it. But it, it you know, it happened. Like that's part of the reason that sparked me wanting to start the podcast to just try to help promote local businesses. Um, you know, certain industries, certain industries did well because of it. I had a veter, you know, a vet, a, uh, a veterinarian on here, and he's like, you know, everybody's adopting pets now. He's like, my business exploded, and then you know, and then you got then you get restaurants and breweries in the industry that just got crushed through no fault of their own. Um, so obviously, it had an impact, but did it? cause you to pivot in any way? Like, is the beer garden new because of COVID? Was that already in there beca- uh, before COVID? Like, did it cause you to pivot in any way? And it, you've seen like a difference this year? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had to, to make some changes quick because we basically lost our entire tap room, right? Yeah. Our tap room is generally a, a pretty significant portion of our revenue. So right. we were, without that, we had to figure out, one, what we were going to do with all the beer that we were brewing, and two, mm-hmm. you know, how we were going to kind of make up that revenue. And so we were pretty quick on pivoting and getting everything into cans. You yeah. know, we'd already had some canning dates lined up with the mobile canner. And so at that point, it was just a matter of sourcing, you know, some more cans to um, get the beer in there. And so we were really, really fast and kind of reacting to that. You know, we lost, we lost basically on-premise sales here for, I think it was March to June, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a couple months, two and a half months or so. And then when we opened back up, we were only serving outside on our patio. So, you know, we weren't keeping people inside. Yeah. Um, and that slowly changed, you know, as the weather got colder and colder, we started, you know, we evaluated whether we could do it safely. Yeah, of course. Um, and went through all the, you know, all the proper social distancing and yeah. glass shields and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the last year and a half has, has been a rocky, I wouldn't say a rocky road. It's been, it's been a very period of period of time where it was just constant change right yeah. so we we're constantly reinventing you know how we were going to operate in the tap room how we, what beer we were going to produce and um and just trying to find that kind of sweet spot um where we could where we could survive you know at the very beginning you know we still had our our to-go sales right so people could still yeah. come in here and buy you know cases or cans or whatever to go and I, I was absolutely floored when i looked at the numbers that april and it was one of our highest revenue numbers for what I consider our retail side of our business. Yeah. People were literally coming in and buying cases of beer at a time. That's and that was going to be my next question. Like, did you see like a difference in support for people trying to come out and, you know, and purchase more cans than typical? Oh yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Like cause people didn't know, right. They were right. like, it was like toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, you know, beer. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, that slowly tapered off, obviously, of course, yeah. but you know, that I was, I was just, I was shocked, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's awesome to see the support that, that came out for it. And hopefully, you know, we're past this point going forward. Hopefully it's just, it's just a blip yeah, it's not, long term. It's not quite back to business normal on our side. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at the numbers and comparing the 2019 we're still down, you know, on yeah. our retail side of our business. So I'm hoping that once we get back to fall, things will kind of get back to normal. I feel like there's been such a pent up demand for people just to get out of the house. Yeah. Maybe definitely. on vacation that people have just kind of fled, you know, the city 
for yeah, a that's while. True. Yeah, that's true. Nobody could travel last year. So a lot of people traveling this year, but now, you know, summertime, but then when, you know, September, October and the fall runs around, kids are back in school. People kids will be home. Yeah. So any, uh, any upcoming, uh, like promotions or events like that coming up in the coming months? Yeah. So like I, like I mentioned, it's our 10 year anniversary. We yeah. celebrate our 10 year anniversary at our Oktoberfest, which we have every year, except for okay. 2020. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and that's coming up September 11th. So we're awesome. hoping to have a, uh, a big party here, um, in our parking lot tents. We usually have like a dunk tank, um, that we put some celebrities into and, you know, the, that goes to charity, you know, it's like, I can't remember, it's like a dollar or throw or something like that. You know, we have, you know, German umpa music and German nice. food and lots of German idle hands beer. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. That's awesome. 10 years. That's a big number too. That's a really big it number. Is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. a lot of gray hair from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it. So has, has there been like, what are some common myths or misconceptions about the brewery industry? Um, that you sit around and drink beer all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not the case. Um, that's, that's not the case. Even my brewers, you know, they don't yeah. sit around and drink beer all the time. There's, like, yeah. there's a lot of cleaning that has to happen. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get into this industry because it's kind of a glamorized type of business and people are like, oh, it's cool, right? I mean, yeah, the product is really cool, right? Everybody yeah. likes beer. Yeah. Well, most everybody likes beer. But you have to treat it as a business, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're never going to survive. And I think I learned that, you know, when we, you know, a few years into it, when it was no longer, uh, it was no longer a part-time thing for us, for me, you know, yeah. I realized that I had to, you know, make this a full-time thing if I, if I was ever going to make it successful. Yeah. Um, and make it part of, you know, my job. And that's how I was going to earn my income. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time pouring over the numbers and watching what we're spending and all, all sorts of things just to make yeah. sure, you know, the, the brewery is going to be profitable and I'll be able to pay my employees and right. provide them with benefits and, and everything like that. So it's, you know, as you get older or as you get bigger and you get more employees, you know, you feel a responsibility to make sure that they're, they're treated yeah. properly. And that they're you know making a living wage and doing well also so yeah yeah i imagine with the uh the engineering background are you a little bit more on the analytical side yeah i am definitely on the analytical side yeah, yeah. Same. i'm also definitely on the all right it's time to repair this i guess chris is doing it side yeah. which is good <laughs> yeah. and bad i suppose uh yeah. save save some money with not having to bring contractors in all the time but at the yeah. same time you know i've got yeah. better things to do than you know replace the wheels on a uh on the forklift and stuff like that so yeah yeah, I uh, I'm very much left brain, like analytical type of person myself. I just analyze numbers just all day long. It's what I do. My wife is more on the creative side. She's more like on the right brain side. Yeah, I, but it's good to have that type of a background if you're going to be running a business. You know, you need to know your numbers. Yeah, if you're going to have a viable business, it, you know, when it turns from a passion project to an actual business in your future, like you gotta you gotta be able to know the numbers inside and out. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So has the industry changed much over the last decade i guess maybe being in the tap rooms more than anything but anything else that sticks out since you know 10 years is a long time you're not like new brewery so like outside of covid of course but has the industry changed much in general since you started yeah i mean i think you know when i got started 10 years ago everybody really knew each other you know even if you were new into the business you know it wasn't hard to kind of know all the other yeah. brewers or owners in massachusetts and, and that's changed i feel you know maybe a little bit of that uh, collegiate kind of attitude has kind of worn away a little bit with there are so many new entrants into the into yeah. the category 
you know, back then it was easy to, you know, if you were short a bag of malt or something like that, to call up, you know, one of the other local breweries and, hey, listen, can you spare this or that? And, you know, they yeah. were generally happy to help. And, and certainly I still have a lot of those contacts um, back then. And some of those older brewers um, still kind of think that way. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure the newer brewers are kind of in tune with that, um, yeah. particularly as some of them have entered it just as a way of making money. And it is a business and only a business. Right. You know, I feel like there's got to be a little bit of kind of passion behind the product that you're producing, oh, yeah. you know, um, and without that, I, I feel like it's, you know, that a little bit of that kind of collegiate attitude, it, it kind of gets lost. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So what do you see? What do you see for the future of Idle Hands? You know, you've been 10 years in another 10 years. Do you picture yourself staying in Malden? Do you picture if you if you grow, do, are you going to get an, uh, you know, a bigger location or a second location? What do you see? Yeah. That, that's that's the big question, right? We're at yeah. this point now where we're we're busting busting at the seams here in Malden, and so now it's a matter of what is that next move. Um, yeah. And I'm still, again, that analytical mind yeah. pouring over things and trying to figure that out and trying to read the tea leads to really think through like, do I want to go through another build out, another yeah. big build out, which is going to be much more expensive than the last one, right? Um, just because it's going to be bigger. How do I finance that? Is that the move I want to take? Do I want to look more in the tap room model where we just open a couple of the tap rooms around you know massachusetts or whatnot okay uh you know it's it's trying to figure figure out the best path forward um yeah and i, I would say me being kind of like this you know or me and my wife being the sole owners of the business sometimes fall into this kind of narrow-minded kind of path and we don't necessarily have the outside voices um that are good sounding boards to kind of like really kind of flesh some of that those those thoughts out yeah. so you know i am envious of some of the other brewers that now they were started with two or three other people with varying backgrounds and yeah. um, they have the ability to kind of bounce those ideas off of each other. Time will tell. Yeah. Time, time will tell. tell. <laughs> um, in terms of Malden, I mean, we, I love Malden. We've been yeah. here you know, for five years. They yeah. welcomed us with open arms. It's been, I would say, light years better than other communities that we've had to deal with. Um, they've just been super, super helpful at every yeah. turn. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good to hear. So I always intrigued by this question just because I, I don't know, business owners, I think sometimes we're a little different breed, but do you, do you ever picture yourself like 100% completely retiring, like outside of being physically or mentally incapable of working? Do you think you'll like ever sell the business or just always have your hand in it in some capacity? Ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about a lot of it last year <laughs> yeah, yeah that's fair <laughs> yeah i mean at, at some point yeah I, I you know i would like to not be here on a day-to-day -day basis yeah um i have other interests in my life and yeah. while this has been my life for the last 10 plus years you know my son's now seven years old um okay. so he's grown up as part of this brewery and the question is you know do I continue to grow it or, you know, continue to operate it and leave it for him as a legacy? Does he even yeah. want it? You right. know, yeah. there's all these kind of questions that are like that. And at the same time, I'm like, I, I grew up in New Hampshire. I'd love yeah. to go back to New Hampshire. I would love to, you know, you know, prior to us starting the recording, we were talking about, you know, being up in the White Mountains and stuff yep. like that. And I, I, every time I go up there, I'm like, I don't want to come home. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you, what do you do? How do you figure yeah. that out? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And he, you know, him only being seven, you know, you get some time to figure that out. See if he has an interest yeah. in it and 
you know, in that capacity. That's true. I have about 10 years to really figure out what the future of Vital Hands yeah. is going to be. Is yeah. it going to be a legacy or, or not? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's a long enough time. You get plenty of time. Outside of work, you mentioned New Hampshire. What are some of the other hobbies that you enjoy doing? Like you, you enjoy New, you're from New Hampshire. Do you enjoy skiing, snowboarding, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I grew up skiing, and you know, ever since went to college, you know, I've, I've skied less. And part of it is just like I, I'm, to some degree, some somewhat lazy. Yeah. And the concept of me having to like pack up the car and drive for yeah. an hour to go to a ski mountain to then ski to then pack up and go yeah. home, where when I grew up, I literally lived five minutes from a mountain. And, oh wow! So, yeah, you know, yeah. all that effort to kind of just do that is <laughs> a lot to me. And so, you know, part of you know going back up to New Hampshire and going to the White Mountains is is hopefully to make that a little yeah. bit less of a um, deterrent now to actually go skiing. You know, if yeah. I have actually base camp up there, so to speak. But yeah, skiing, hiking, um, just being outdoors in general. You yeah. know, I just I, I missed it being down here in the city. It's yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't know. Part I'm part city mouse, part country mouse. Yeah so yeah that's fair i mean it's a lot different too if you live five minutes from a mountain versus yeah like me i grew up in massachusetts was never a big uh skier or a snowboarder type of person and just i'm not good enough so when i go like the once the one time a year you know i just spend i just spend half the day on my ass like falling down all day long you know and packing up driving up falling down all day going home being cold like it's (laughs) it's a completely different experience if you didn't grow up you know, pretty much on a mountain, you know? Yeah. And part of me is just like, I want my son to have those experiences too. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe because I'm just, I don't know. I feel like him living in the city, he's not exposed to kind of the outdoors yeah. as much as he could be or should be. And I want him to have that same passion that I had, you know? Growing yeah. Up. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Chris, what advice would you give somebody that's looking to start their own business? doesn't have to be a brewery necessarily, but just something in general, like first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> Be prepared for a lot of long hours yeah. and a lot of a lot of reinventing what you originally set out to do. Yeah, yeah, it's great to write a business plan, uh, but you have to be very cognizant of the fact that that business plan is going to change. Yeah, and it's going to change in ways that you probably don't predict or yeah. can't predict, and you've got to be able to kind of figure your way out through those things. Yeah, like writing up the business plan that that's cool, that's exciting, and then actually executing it, and then the something can go wrong, you know, in the first week that you just yeah. weren't expecting. Now you just have to continuously change it and evolve. And um, yeah, I mean, think of, think about all these businesses that were on the cusp of starting when COVID hit. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what that was like, but yeah. you know, if you yeah. can make your way through that, then you should be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Especially like, you know, for yourself, at least you were so basically what eight and a half years in essentially for COVID hit, you know, you had, you had business, obviously you got impacted, but yeah, if somebody's just trying to start out and they get hit by that, hit by that within the first six months of the business being open, yeah. I mean, I it's just, imagine. that's a bad, that's a bad hand to be dealt, you know? Yeah. So last couple of questions, Chris, I've asked every guest on Boss's Best this. First one being, if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing, what would you tell him? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that is a tough one. You know, I, I think back on some of the advice that my mom gave me when I was, Probably a little bit, at, you know, in college at that time. But she's yeah. like, listen, you know, follow your passions, you know, do things that you want to do and figure out how to do them and make money at them. You know, don't yep. be the you know, don't be that person that regrets something that you could have done. And I think part of that was what started Idle Hands to some degree. I mean, it took me several years to, I guess, let that advice sink in. But I think it's important in life to feed the soul and not necessarily yeah. just feed your bank account. 
Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Cause I, you know, I go back and think, you know, I never finished college and, you know, but you're growing up, like you were supposed to you go to college, like get a degree in X. And then I don't know how many people get a degree in X and they don't do anything with that degree, you know, unless it's something specific, right? Like I thought criminal justice sounded cool. So at the end of the day though, I didn't want to be a cop or a correctional office, but I thought criminal justice sounded cool. So that's what I ended up going for. And then I had a few passions. I started a couple of businesses and I think if you're doing what you love, I think that's more important than just getting a degree, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, becoming a, a W2 employee right out of, right out of college. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. You know, when you graduate college, you have debt and you feel like you need to pay it or yeah. at least I did, you know, yeah. so I felt like I needed to, you know, yeah. have those jobs in order to kind of get out of that, you know, but maybe once you clear that debt then then look at, look at other things to do. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like if, yeah. No, you don't want to, you know, you, like you said, you were 12 months into a job and you knew you didn't want to do that the rest of your life. Right. So follow your I passion. wanted to be a civil engineer since I was 16 years old. I wanted to build bridges and yeah. buildings and cool stuff like that. Cause I thought that stuff was neat. And I still do. Yeah. But you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen between A and B and yeah. I just willing to continue to do that. So yeah, not fair. Fair. Chris. So last question, everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So how, how would you define success? Uh, I mean, you know, I didn't start Idle Hands to be, you know, the next, you know, Harpoon. I started it because I wanted a business that was what I consider a lifestyle business. Yeah. One that yeah. is going to provide for my family and provide for my soul and be a business that is going to be sustainable and that, you know, it's profitable in yeah. that regards. To me, that's success. Other yeah. people define success by how much money they have in their bank account or how many cars they have in their driveway. I, I have no no desire for material things like that, I guess. Yeah. I want to be happy in the end. Yeah. And if I'm happy, then I'm successful. No, I think it's a great answer. My wife and I were chatting about it this past weekend. She's expecting, she's due at the end of October. So we're going through daycare and we're running these costs. And she's like, holy shit, this is expensive. I was like, yeah. Uh, you know, like we can afford it. I mean, like... I think COVID also, for me at least, it highlighted like there's a handful of things that are important, right? So like, obviously, want to create an income where like we're happy and we can provide, but not trying to work myself to the bones where I need to be making the money, the money like Jeff Bezos, right? Like I don't care about that stuff as much. Like don't have a car payment, don't want a car payment, don't want a new car, don't care about it. You know, there's a certain thing, there's a handful of things in life for me that are important and you know just trying to create you said lifestyle right like that's exactly what we're trying to create just that lifestyle so we're happy we're content you know and we're not trying to make a billion dollars like don't really care about that as much you know yeah yeah so, yeah uh chris thank you very much for coming on boston's best promoting idle hands happy to have you on and i uh, wish you the best of luck thank you it's been a pleasure yeah. Hey everyone, I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.